0: This episode of the Minimalist is brought to you by nobody because. We'll see. Houston could do so much come better on. than that. You should have heard him in San Antonio. Now. I thought that oh last night the, I thought the walls were going to come down. I right, let's try this again. All right, podcast, Sean. Pretend we didn't do that. We're going to start from scratch. We'll just start with the advertisements. Okay, here we go. This episode of the Minimalist is brought to you by nobody because. You're damn right they do. (laughs) Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast. Let's welcome to the stage our good friend, Dr. John Deloney.
1: Yeah. How dare you be more handsome than us.
2: All right, Obviously we're gonna. I didn't mean to do this, to dress
1: exactly like you guys. <laughs> you got so the memo. Ridiculous. <laughs> he, he wore the, uh, yeah, the minimalist outfit and everything. He got the memo.
0: We're actually selling them out in the gift shop. <laughs> um, this is so awesome. John, I do want to talk to you about some stuff here. We're, we got some uh, folks who can ask some questions as well. I know they set up a microphone somewhere. Can you maybe tell me where it is? I'm, oh, it's right there. Ladies and gentlemen, podcast, Sean. He's our our in-house factotum, which just means person who does everything. Um,
1: Should we tell him who Delaney
0: is? Yeah, no, uh, we'll, we'll get there. I was, just, oh, I right, was walking
2: right. down the street going to a movie, and they're like, "Hey, man,
0: you want to be on <laughs> on, a, on a show?" We're like, like, "What do you do? Great. What are you doing in Houston?" Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he's the hometown hero here. You, you may have seen him on um, well the Ramsey Solutions Network. He has his own show now, uh, yeah, self-titled show, which is a little Kind of preposterous. It's yeah, cool. and, um, and he has four or five PhDs at this point. He's just hoarding PhDs. What's going on? It's
2: directly inversely proportional to the
0: number of friends you have, right? <laughs> it's, it's pretty low bar. So, um, the reason I wanted to have you up here today, I wanted to talk about anxiety and and, well, I think. It goes by a whole bunch of different names stress overwhelm discontent but the underlying feeling that we often feel is this this low-grade anxiety that then manifests into so many other problems in our lives so if you have questions about that feel free to hop up to the mic we're going to be answering your questions tonight or of course if you have questions about minimalism or anything else you'd like to ask ryan about his hair products perhaps (laughs) last night he got a question about his shoes or lack thereof. <laughs> but John, let's talk, about, let's talk about anxiety because everyone in this room has felt anxious this week. Am I wrong about that? Anyone here not felt anxious at all this week? Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. Um, where does this come from?
2: I think um, if we back up and look at the last, I don't know, 25, 35, maybe 50 years, we've begun to pathologize discomfort. Ooh. So we've, we've taken being uncomfortable, let's go back to what you said, like we're pursuing happy, right? So then when you pursue happy, anything that is less than that is something that we can solve, right? And so let's create something more technology, let's create more FMRIs we can plug into our heads, let's do all this stuff to solve for, for not happy. And then the bar for not happy just keeps moving further and further and further to, why, why exercise? That doesn't feel good. Take this pill, right? Or to fix this. Don't do anything hard. We can just solve for it all. And now we're in this ecosystem where any discomfort, anything that's uncomfortable, um, we pathologize and we create a label for it. And then we create a specialized medical school track for it or a therapeutic track for it to solve it. And so when it comes to anxiety, when I was in, in trying to be one of those guys that would go to grad school and solve all these problems, I remember looking at anxiety and thinking, that's not the problem. That's like walking into your house and it's on fire. And so you call a therapist and like some associate pastor and some friend, like your you go girlfriend and y'all come over and you get on a ladder in your kitchen and y'all climb up there, and you take the batteries out of the smoke detector, and you're like, ah, solved anxiety, and your house is burning down around you, and we're like, got it, or you do it by yourself, like uh, Druggie McGee over here used to do, right, <laughs> and you, uh, you just take pillows and duct tape, and you wrap it around that thing. That's what addiction is, right, whether that's drugs or alcohol or another another partner another partner another partner or or whatever happens to be that's just numbing that thing out right and so whenever somebody's anxious and if you're not anxious right now what's you go see somebody tomorrow (laughs) right you're not okay right Can, can we pause on that though because there are certain
0: savants of living who live without anxiety now i don't know if that requires a particular removal from society altogether like to live a monastic life which is not what ryan and i Um, want to do what we're trying to find a way is how to live better within society without having to remove ourselves from it completely although it does seem to me there's a balance there as well so i think there well you'll notice some people who maybe are more hardwired for anxiety like i know i get way more anxious than ryan does ryan performs really well under pressure uh, not I mean I'm like you know studying for the test years in advance. I don't even have a college degree. I don't even know why I'm studying for the damn test, <laughs> but it's freaking me out and And so there are certain people though that that um i don't I don't know if they're they're able to transcend it or if it's that they have a just a deeper understanding that hey, this is gonna be okay. I think
2: that a couple things one, I look at we segmented all of these discomforts and some of them are biological some of them are genetic and if you know anything about genetics now we're learning really quickly that genetics change minute by minute right they are flipping on and off and on and off all the time it's not this thing that you're it's not a blueprint that's going to give you the outcome of your life and so we've segmented all these things up but if you look at it anxiety and depression and trauma response that's all on the same trend line and so someone like me yeah I got a set of blueprints that I spin up a little bit more than somebody else. One of my oldest best friends in the world, Mike, Tom, they tend to just go like this, right? It's coming. Let's do this, right? Whatever the world's going to be. And so my guess would be, I don't know you that well, my guess would be that you could
1: disappear in a crowded room. Is that fair? Uh, Can you get low? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I love being center of attention. I mean, that's why I'm on the stage right now. There but <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but so, no, I, yeah, probably. Yeah. So I think I think we have to do two things. One is
2: we call every. Th- we only have two words anymore: depression, anxiety. That's it. I stubbed my toe. I'm depressed. I got dumped. I'm depressed. I was married for 25 years, and my wife just got hit by a bus. I'm depressed. Like we just all just call that depression. We also watch the news. I'm so anxious. You're just, you're not anxious, right? Or I can't get out of bed. I'm almost catatonic because my heart rate won't go below 170. I've got anxiety, right? So I think it's changing our language. And then two is backing up in this, like we're not our feelings. We're not. And as you talked about that monastic life, if you can put a gap between what you're feeling and you, and just look at that gap, and that's what. You know those people that just walk through life, and like, it'll be all right. And if it's not, we'll be dead. Either way, we're good, right? <laughs> like, if I can have, if I can experience this gap between I'm feeling anxious, let me be curious about that.
1: And not, I'm anxiety, like, it's, we just wear it as a label. You, you know it's interesting? I think the reason why I react to anxiety a little bit differently is because of how I grew up. Like, I grew up with one emergency after another. Like SWAT team kicking in our door in junior high. My dad was on the SWAT team, <laughs> literally in Houston. I, I mean. thought, I thought, he, oh, he really
2: was. Yeah, he really was oh, on. Wow. H, he was a homicide detective oh. here in Houston SWAT team. He, oh,
1: sorry man. about your door, brother. If I take him for a beer, like when he tell me some really crazy stories, not would probably start with this one time I was at this guy's house. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I mean, I just had one emergency after another. Um, I, I remember one time, like my like stepfather, like my. He, he, when my mom had locked him out. My brother was standing in front of this window and he was like kind of crying. And my stepfather's like all mad and kicks the window and like it's a double pane and just like bursts glass. All, like we thought my brother was like gonna have to go to the emergency room. I mean, it was, it was, but like that's just two examples of like, and I got many more to talk that, that I could talk about, but I won't just for the sake of time. Um, and I'll save my, the, my family the rest of the embarrassment. But it, there's a, something though that when anxiety happens, I actually like, like now I rise to the occasion. It might have to do a little bit with me being ADD as well. Like when I'm in a pressure situation, that's kind of when I I feel like I can perform the best. But I think because like I practiced so much like, unintentionally, had so much practice in emergency situations that like I can, I can lean back a little bit. Because the worst shit that could happen to me, oh my God, knock on wood, the worst shit that's ever happened, to me. like it's probably happened to me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm sure Dude, i you're have gonna a... get struck by lightning. I know, if you're I know. That. That. That's why. I'm, that's why I'm not. I'm a wet. lifelong Astro fan. It
2: could always get worse, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I really want to take back what I said. That. Kidding. <laughs> like, lightning up everybody, right, again. right. But no, I mean, there is something to do with with the childhood, and, and there is the the genetic makeup. Because I know Josh. He also went through a lot of stress yeah. and, uh, yeah, yeah, unknowns and and definitely wasn't secured him. So one of, the, one of the things I like to think about is we, um, I hate to use
2: mechanistic or technological terms for human bodies, because I think it, the metaphor works, but then it runs out, and we try to cram it in there, right? And so if you go back and listen to when Freud was trying to explain stuff, he was, the Industrial Revolution was coming online, so he would say things like, um, you know, you gotta let steam off, right? Which we've come to find out is a terrible way to deal with anger, right? It just, re- it reinforces it, right? To, to get it all out. Oh, that just makes it worse. Right. But now we say things like downloading and our brains wiring and things. So I hate to use that metaphor, but I'm going to, um, we're running on old technology, right? Yeah. And so our brain still, whether there's a tiger coming at us or a bear or an email or, um, you know, I can't find my other sandal. We only have three responses. <laughs> we can run from it. We can fight it or we can freeze. Right. And so. Folks who I've, I, I, dude, I'm a card-carrying member of the AD, ADHD club, that's good. Um, I consider it one of my superpowers, and it's often a response to childhood chaos, right? It's just a way to, to navigate and deal with it. And I also look at, am I running from this? Am I trying to fight it? You know, we all know people who are angry all the time. Or when you're driving and somebody cuts you off, and you literally grab the wheel tighter and think, I'm going to give myself a heart attack and die younger. That'll show you in the Kia ahead of, right? What? what a dumb thing. What a dumb way to live, right? I'm going to be more angry and kill. The other thing is, is we freeze, right? Which is the ancient, I can't run from the bear. I can't fight this bear. I'm going to let him take me down. Hopefully, he'll just bite off part of my leg and I'll live to see tomorrow, right? And if you think about your feelings and you compress them, the other, what are we doing with that? You're depressing it. Right. And so a lot of folks who dealt with childhood trauma are able to rise above, to rise at, to meet that challenge. And everything just stay like if you get down in the hole, who can get gnarly quick, right? That's why I just keep running and running. Right, I don't want to do it. I'm in counseling now. It is not great. But you gotta keep going. all right, you gotta keep mining it.
0: Well, so let's talk about these other the language that we use, because we can say things like he really upset me. But of course, that's never what happens, right? It's always me who upset me. I
2: chose to be upset by, in reaction to what he did.
0: Right, but whatever his, his, his behavior was, uh, the way I interpret it, usually based on some expectation that I had pre-established, right? That, and so, and even then, it's not that I upset me, it's that the upset rose within me. If I can see that, then we're going down a completely different path. You win, if you get there, you win life. If you can feel it coming and think,
2: she just looked at me that way and I feel like she's about to break up with me and it's all going to happen right now. If you can hold that gap and not attack, ah, oh, you win. That's, that's, that's the win of life.
0: So let's talk about instead of just categorizing everything as anxiety, can we talk a bit about um, what, what's maybe a, a more useful way to look at it? How can we form a deeper understanding of of this thing that we call anxiety? I think backing
2: out and looking in the mirror and saying at the end of the day, to me anxiety is about control. And at the end of the day, I can control two things on planet Earth. I think that's what creates so much election anxiety is there's so much ramp up to it. And it's like going to the fair and there's those things of uh, those fish bowls and there's like the one goldfish in each one when you're a kid and the hole's like this big and you throw a ping pong ball in there. Like when we vote nationally, it's super important that we do that but we get one toss and then they're like next and you're like i watched a lot of news for the last two and a half years and that's like that's all i can control right the, at the end of the day i can't control whether my two kids like i can honor them and love them i can't control how they navigate the world i love my wife dearly we, we almost married 20 years can't control hurt. At the end of the day, we can control two things, our thoughts and our actions, and that's it, right? And so anything beyond that, that anxiety, that depression, that fear of the past, that fear of the future, it's us trying to grab control. And we often do this unconsciously, right? The fear, the fight flight response is doing this for us. But man, if you can settle in here and say, you didn't make me mad. I'm choosing to be mad or my body's responding because that looked a lot like the way my dad used to respond when I was mad or that used to, that reminds me of when I lied when I was a kid. And if you can be in that space, everything around you just is more peaceful, right?
0: I also think that it seems as though many of us are almost Seeking out anxiety. You get,
2: hey, you can get addicted to the chemicals that pulse through your veins when you're anxious.
0: So there are many ways that we seek it out. The news is one that you, you you brought up here, but there are so many other ways. I mean, I see it manifest in in road rage or when I have friends who are you know constantly complaining about everything. It's almost as though we are we're looking for the next thing to be upset about. Yeah. And there's a particular certainty that's associated with that. Um, why do we do
2: that? I think it comes back to <laughs> control we talked about. The other big one is um, 10,000 years ago, if you were living on the plains of North America and you opened your eyes one morning and your tribe had left you, you were going to die. Yeah. So we have a built-in mechanism that says you have to be connected with other people. And if you ever work with children, they are co-regulated. I think I think adults are, too. We're just not quite there with the research, but we're co-regulated. We know who we are in space. If you're ever around hyperactive children, they bounce off of things. That's how they regulate where they are. One way to really honor a kid with ADHD is to touch their face, to look them in the eye and touch their face. It settles their body down, right? We are so tribal. And so man, when I'm looking for control and this guy or this woman gets up and says, I have the answers, and it's them, we can go, Oh yeah. Anywhere on planet Earth, when I ask about the Astros, they go bunch of cheaters. Then then when I visited Houston last year. I was like, "Hey dude, what about our stros and they're like, no big deal it's all good bro it's cool we won the d- we won we won it's cool <laughs> right that's our that's our gang that's our people you you're in we're in yeah we're in right and so we do we're we are so lean towards anything we can have affiliation to, and we end up over affiliating with things we buy into stuff we the same you talk about you end up buying something you don't even want because it's just more. I end up on a tr- team that like Agree with where we're at. Are we all cool? We're
0: we're on. We're way out on this island somewhere. That's where we are. Okay, that's where we are. All right,
2: and you just end up there, and your body starts sounding the alarms. Right.
0: The control thing really resonates with me because while Ryan m- might be ADD, I am OCD. Yeah, you know me. Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I think you know, both of our you know, we we both had chaotic childhoods, and they. W- there were different environments, but it was very similar I mean, in terms of, like, they were dysfunctional homes and um, poverty, you know, food stamps, government assistance, but also just a lot of drug and alcohol abuse and um, even physical abuse in the home.
2: What's your ACEs score? <laughs> Have you ever done
0: that? No, I don't know what that is.
2: It's the Inverse Childhood Experience. It'd be interesting for you to take it. You should take it and text me. Okay. It's just a scale of one to ten. It was developed by Nadine Burke Harris. She's in California. Okay, um, it's remarkable. Okay,
0: I'll check it out because okay. I, what I found is that controlling things for the longest time was the way that I, I coped because there was so much uncertainty there, and I think that's the reason the an- the anxiety boils up so quickly in me is something's out of my control, yeah. and as soon as something's out of my control, well now I I need to what fix this, right. you go back to the machine metaphors right. Not, I need to heal this. Not, I need to understand this. Now, I've started to of develop that understanding that maybe I simply need to understand this. Uh, and we try to fix things, but healing doesn't work that way. Yeah. Ryan broke his back a couple years ago. He was skiing, broke five vertebrae in his back, walked into the emergency room. Um, That's what
2: $5,000 worth of drugs will get you. <laughs> right? I'm just I'm going to beat that to death. I'm you know? oh,
1: sorry. <laughs> if I was on oh, drugs, I'd have, like, ran in there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello!
0: I broke my back! And because, like, Ryan's a real type A person, the first thing he asked him was like, what do I do to heal this like, after the fact? And they're like, well, you don't do anything. Like, that's the whole point. You have to not do things. And that's often where the healing comes from. We're so caught up in the, the doing, especially with the whole minimalism thing. How do I do less? Well, the doing less is about the less, not the doing part, right? Because our lives get rather cluttered with stuff, but then we try to fill it in other ways as well that make us so anxious. Um, Obligations, filling the calendar. Well, why? Because it gives me significance. I'm busy. Busy is the worst four-letter word in the English language. Because whenever I say I'm busy, I'm really saying my life's out of control. Every, everyone has sort of dictated what my calendar says now. Everyone else's emergency has become my emergency all of a sudden. And that's how we were in the corporate world. And Ryan and I climbed the corporate ladder rather efficiently because we were really good at constantly putting out everyone else's fires. But God, it was not good for my mental health. It wasn't good for my anxiety. It was a, a life, but I w- didn't really feel like I was, I was living.
2: If I could give one if, if, if one magic, like, I don't know, I'm opening my hand. People in the podcast are like, what's he doing? Is I it, thought like smoke was going to come yeah, out. Yeah, it's like if I was a wizard right? <laughs> <laughs> and I did, had wizard dust. and a dove. Yeah, 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 or I released 11 doves, right? Um, if it would be for people in relationships to take out the words, how do I fix this? How do I fix you? and instead replace that with, how do I be with you? And that little switch, so my wife would come home from work, we were both professors at a college, she'd come home, and I'd always be trying to fix, like she was complaining, like she was frustrated with this professor, or this colleague, or this administrator, and I would go, how do I fix this? And it took me so many years to realize, She's real, real smart. She doesn't need me to fix anything. She just needs me to listen. Shut up, you stupid idiot guy, right? I want to fix it. I want to fix it. I don't fix it, right? Or I talk to women all the time on, on my show, calling about their partners, and it's how do I how do I get them to how do I, they need to be doing this? They and they're trying to fix right, like they're a lawnmower, right? And I need my mower to run better. Oh man, you just need to be with people, and if you could be able to sit with people and. Instead of, yeah, how do I, I need my back to heal itself, so what do I need to do today, right? I just need to go sit down, right? Yeah. How could you learn to sit with your partner and say, hey, uh, like, how can I honor you right now? How can I just be with you, right? And that's how healing happens. That's how anxiety leaves because you're not trying to solve or trying to fix. You're just being with, right? And your brain goes, cool, there's nothing to fight, nothing to run from here. Whew, we're good right and then you it turns its own alarms off it's remarkable how it works right
0: there's a part in our new book where we talk about i mean the book is called love people use things and the subtitle is because the opposite never works well ryan and i spent a long time using people and loving things and i think we don't really understand love yeah We have a language problem as part of it, right? So, up in Canada, in the the Nunavut region, they have, the the Inuit dialect has 53 words to describe snow. We have one word for love, right? I love my wife. And McDonald's. (laughs) I love the Big Mac, it's so good, right? And it's like, well, wait a minute. What does one, one mean is extreme like, and the other is something completely different and as you talked about sitting with someone the best way I've been able to understand love is it's seeing someone for who they are without trying to change them or without trying to fix them right we're constantly trying to fix the people around us well, what does that even mean well that instantly puts me on a pedestal I know better than you and therefore I'm going to dictate to you how what things should be and um what an ugly place to be we got uh, we got John here. We might as well ask him some questions while we're here. So if you if anyone wants to line up at this mic, or we can just talk blankly at the mic until someone does.
2: It reminds me of dating in high
1: school, man. <laughs> you know, we answered all the questions, man. <laughs> well,
2: it's good to see you. Yeah, uh, I love you too. That's good. <laughs> I'll
1: you talk. Go. Ahead. Oh, I was just say you know, there's one thing about anxiety that you know, there's a label on it that anxiety is bad, and it certainly feels bad, right? And that's probably why we give it that label, but the more and more you know I get anxious, the more I try to look at it as a symptom of like what what is actually going on, why am I feeling anxious and that has helped me to um, yeah just get to the root of the problem rather than putting a bunch of pillows around the the smoke alarm
2: <laughs> there's a cool way our body does it where hey check this out so um, you won't be able to see this on the you put this on the internet too yeah yeah there'll be a video version somewhere oh, great okay, so if you Clench your shoulders. That's your, think about the body posture there. It's either one of two things. It's this, like you're about to throw a punch or you're gonna duck. And so then 25 years ago, we all stopped working like this and we all went like this. And we live all day like this, all right, with our shoulders up. And that sends a signal somewhere in the machine that says, we're under attack, yo all day, every day. And then we go home, and we sit down, and we go, we'll solve it. (laughs) Or we get so pissed off, and you know what we do? We thumbs down the crap out of them, right? That's what we do. And we like, we showed you. And our bodies had a process for, oh gosh, there's a bear coming at us, and it's going to kill us, and we're going to run, and it's either going to eat us and then we're dead and this problem has solved itself or we're gonna survive and then our tribe will come together and we'll kill the bear, we'll eat it together we'll have a celebration that includes dance and singing and we'll and then the, our bodies cycle out and then we wake up the next day and we're good and it's this idea that our body is a physical thing that's trying to backfill with stories and it's a bunch of stories that's trying to backfill with physiology man mm. and then So, like you said, whenever I feel anxious, the first thing I ask myself is, "This happened the other day. My wife's been out of town, and I just had my two little ones. I have a 5-year-old and an 11-year-old. And we went to Bass Pro Shop on Labor Day. That's the stupidest thing I've done in 2021. Every hunter and everybody goes to Bass Pro Shop on that day. And I took my kids, and I said, hey, it's going to take 30 minutes. We just need to get this one thing for the... And then two hours later, it's two o'clock. I've got a five-year-old. that's like, dad, dad. sun, we haven't eaten. And I'm feeling anxious on the highway. And then I got to just stop for a second and say, what is this? You know what it was? It was I was hungry. And I didn't plan well. I was kind of embarrassed. Mm. I was ashamed that my kids got to see a grown man plan the day like that. And then it was like, my wife wouldn't have done that because she's smarter and better at everything. And then I have shame. It was all these other things. It for sure wasn't the dude in the nissan rogue that was driving too slow in front of me but he was gonna get all my rate right so it's aunt, or was it wasn't my five-year-old daughter who just all she wants like you mentioned she just wants to be seen and loved by her dad and she's like hey dad hey dad hey dad and i end up Yush! she doesn't get that right does that make sense she didn't get that so just stop and ask yourself what's what are my alarms trying to tell me where's the fire and if you can do that and you can go oh it's over there or the Astros didn't win, or whatever. Right?
1: Whatever. Yeah. No, no, I love that, man. Because what you're doing is, is you, yeah, you're recognizing the problem. Because the worst thing we can do is transfer all of that negative energy, those negative feelings we have. And we do it all the time, especially on the scrolling machine. And then, and then, and then it's funny, because then we, like, we get mad at the scrolling machine, and then we project that out into the real life sometimes. I know. We live
2: yeah. in fantasy world, and we, <laughs> we are angry in the real world. It's so crazy. Right. You didn't like my cat video. Hmm. <laughs> like, you didn't participate in my fantasy world that I imposed on you, so I'm going to not like you in the real world. <laughs> Sucker, how do you like them apples? It's sort of weird. War- it's, our brains are designed <laughs> to gather apples. That's what we're working with, Right. It's like we plug the, what is it, like the Tandy 2000 or 1000, those old computers? I don't know. It's like the original Apple is trying to run a
0: spaceship right now. That's right. Well, while I've got you here, I'd love to talk to you about shame as well, because mm. I think quite often, in, in, in the new book, we talk a lot about some of the things that we've been ashamed to admit until recently, and we've had to come to terms with it. But shame, not only does it do we carry it with us, but it often compels some pretty dumb behaviors in our lives, ways that we try to sort of circumvent the shame, hide the shame, uh, deny the shame, deny past events, deny pre- the present, do other things that we're going to be ashamed of in order to hide the shame. So can we talk a bit about, about shame and, and, and where it comes from, and, and how do we better understand it?
2: Well, I, you, you can't talk about shame without, uh, this is the home of Dr. Brown, right? And so, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> everything I would say would be in service to anything, her remark, Brene Brown, he's who, a professor at U UH. of um, The way I explain shame is, let's say I violate one of my core values. I violate a value. And suddenly, from the sky drops a brick, and I've gotta hold it. That's guilt. I screwed up. I texted that guy and I'm married to somebody else. I um, yelled at my kid. I fudged numbers at work a little bit like it. Like it violated a core value. That's guilt. And I think that's good. I think it's appropriate. We need to have that accountability with our own values. Shame is when I take that brick, and I put it in my backpack, and I say, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Not, I screwed up here. I lied. It is, I'm a liar and I'm going to wear that. And if you study trauma over time, you learn that trauma is both acute, it happens at, at one time, but it's also cumulative. It adds up on you, right? So it can be a bunch of little pebbles that add up over time that you keep putting in your backpack, keep putting your backpack. And it's benign. Some of it's little, like when you're 11 years old and you walk down the stairs and your mom looks at you and says, oh, honey, um, that shirt makes you look pudgy and you want to you want the boys to like you, right? And boys don't like budgy girls. You want to be a pretty girl, right? And you're eleven and you're like, yeah. Or dad says, you know, we don't we don't strike out in this family. You hit the ball. You don't stand up at the stupid plate and put that bat on your shoulder. We swing the bat in this family. That's what the kind of guys we are, right? And so you're like, yes sir, yes sir, yes, sir. I just want I just I want to be loved I want to be loved, I wanna be loved, I wanna be loved. And I'm putting those in there, and over time, you become thirty-five and forty. And that backpack is just so heavy, right? Unbearable. That's shame. And I don't want anyone to know what's in that. Mm. And earlier, to what you said about relationships, all we ever want to know is, do you really know me, really? And do you still love me, right? So in this room, I've got some buddies who have been with me, Mike and Tom and Tom Pat, since I was a child, right? I was like 12, maybe. They know me. They know me when I used to be like a crazy liar. I was nuts. I used, I was in, I was nuts. I was insane, right? And we've had kids together. We've grieved together. We've had gone to weddings together. Um, those people know me, and they still love me, right? And that is my whole body just saying that. It I just do. The, I turn into this guy. I'm just like oh, just chill, right? It everything works out good, right? So it's that's that is how i describe shame and if i can let people into my backpack and let them see what's in there then we are free right if i can take those bricks out and set them down and say i'm not carrying that anymore
0: that's beautiful that's freedom do i see a question over here i do howdy step on up what's your name
3: my name is michelle briggs hey michelle Michelle. where are you from and how
0: much money do you make just kidding (laughs) (laughs) that's a dave ramsey joke uh,
2: my first boss is Dave Ramsey, if you know, so yeah. Where, right. are, you, where are you from? How much money do you make first kiss? Was it weird? Go.
3: Got it. So uh, first and foremost, I want to acknowledge you gentlemen for who you are for us in this world. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank and, you so much. Um, truly.
1: Michelle, that is why we do it. Honestly, ah. like if it was just you who said that, yeah. I would be like, wow, like we're really affecting Michelle's life. But. That is, that's why Josh and I keep doing this, so thank you so much for that.
3: Uh, no, no worries, uh, and that's why I'm here tonight, because I truly believe that is who you are. So for me, I think I'm a closet minimalist, and, uh, and it's kind of funny, because I've done the 30-day you know, challenge, I've done those things, I've had the conversations, and it's so much more than just removing things, mm-hmm. H- hence the conversation and the gentleman that we have this evening what do you do with those people I say those excuse me the individuals in your life that you want to share this with where do you start them that doesn't because I love the conversation of discovering and having the moment that you can look inside yourself and say who am I being why am I acting this way can I let's take a step back and see who am I right now
0: can I ask you a question Sure. why do you feel compelled to to uh, convince them that minimalism is Useful.
3: It's not convincing. It's sharing an opportunity to live a different way, okay. and a different mindset. Set, not a different mindset, but a different point of view.
0: What what compels you to do that?
3: Uh, because I think there's the simplicity behind it, and yeah. it's that the it's the emptying. It's emptying the noise in your brain. It's like just stop for a second and quit that is, I don't know, maybe trying to support them and not being so anxious and not being sure. so crazy and stressed. It's like, stop. And like, Where do you start that conversation with them and not be a therapist?
2: Can I, so one of the, uh, I mean,
0: one of the most common
2: questions I get, this is you show, but I'm taking, I'm just kidding. Um, one of the most common questions I get from parents. No, let me back, I'll say this. So I was doing a practicum. So I went back to grad school as an old person. And so I had to do an internship again. I was a dean of students of the Texas Tech Law School, back in school again, and I had to do an internship with a psychologist who was like 10 or 15 years younger than me. And he was a savant, and we were working with extreme, uh, you couldn't even wrap your head around uh, abused children. Okay. And so we were going through this this one summer was, was when I was doing this, and I also had a young son. And we were going from room to room. What I did would do is I would take this case and try to wrap Finley veiled questions about how to be a good parent to this incredible psychologist. I was asking parenting questions, but I was using these kids we were working on as proxies. Um, I'm a real classy guy, by the way. So we're going from room to room, I'll never forget this. And we were talking to a young kid. He had, was teaching us how to cook math. And he was maybe four. He was, so just, he was just teaching us how to roll joy. I mean, it was this whole thing. And he was saying some really negative things about women. And as we were leaving, I was asking a question. How do you teach a young boy? What do you say to a young kid to help him respect women when he's older? And he, he smiled at me. I'll, <laughs> to this day, he looked at me and he said, you don't tell kids anything. They don't listen to you. They watch you if you want, and he said, he clowned me, he said, if you want your son to respect women, treat your wife right. And he just walked into the next room. <laughs> and so what I would tell you is as a guy who goes to church, there is nothing, no one has ever been like, you know what I should do? I should try the church thing out. Cause I just lost your argument. That's never happened ever, <laughs> ever. And so my, I, you guys do this a lot. I would tell you, if you want to Teach people about the simplicity and peace of being able to go to bed with no medication and get up with no chemicals, be able to walk through life a little bit lighter. You live that. And I promise people will come to you like a moth to a flame and say, I want
1: that. What is that? And then you can be like, oh, these two guys are so great. And then you can get there. right. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, you, you know what's interesting is that is how I stumbled across minimalism. So Josh, I started noticing like, how happy he was, how much freer he was. I'll never forget like uh, when we were in the corporate world. You know, we're working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week. And uh, he told me this story about how our boss called him. And it was like, I don't know, 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. And he kept calling and calling. Josh was telling me the story. He's like, hey, yeah, he keeps calling me and calling me and calling me. And finally I answer up and I'm like, hey, man, can I help you? And he's like, yeah, I need to know, I need to know where, your, where your numbers are at. How are, the, how are your retail stores doing right now? And he was like, hey, man, I don't, I don't know. And he was like, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, uh, you know, you're the regional manager, blah, 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 blah. And, and Josh, he just is like, hey, I think what you're asking right now is an unreasonable expectation and, and oh by the way, um, I'm not gonna answer your calls past 6 p.m. anymore and, and, I, and if I'll get to you, you know, around 8 in the morning, Like he started setting these boundaries and that is when I noticed, I'm like what the hell is going on with Josh? <laughs> like something has changed in him and that's when I sat him down and I asked him, I'm like dude, why the hell are you so happy? And that's when he told me about this thing called minimalism. And as I went through my process of, of simplifying in the packing party, has anyone not heard of the packing party story? Okay, awesome. So uh, don't have to spend 10 minutes telling that story, amazing. So I, I went through that packing party story and I thought to myself, I'm like, oh wow, like th- th- there might be some people who find value in this story, who find value in our story. So that's when Josh and I did what any two 30 year old dudes would do. We started a blog. And uh, what happens is that when you add value to someone's life, they want to they wanna share you know, your message, your story with other people. And that is how Josh and I have come the way we are. And that's where you're at right now. You're like, you're finding value in it. And you want to share this message with your friends and family. And I totally agree with what Deloney is saying here is, is, yes, live it. And people will come to you. And you don't go to them and say, well, hey, you got to Go ahead. What's up? No, no. But you have to,
3: like what I said, I'm like a closet minimalist.
1: You are a closet minimalist. Come out of the closet. Come out of the closet. In front of everybody. This is your coming out party. You just tonight. came out. You just came out in front of like a hundred shower. people. <laughs> no
2: one knows me here.
1: No one knows me here. And yeah. hey, the way you
2: said it was—you like, said it. I've got an opportunity for them. I was—I—if I, in another context, I would have thought you had like Amway or Tupperware in your trunk, right? <laughs>
3: Do you, like have you have any type of a way so of being? Right? I just all I want to know is like, all right, tell me a podcast, give me a few numbers and I'm gonna go look listen look, get on there, listen to these podcasts and you know, call me what you think.
1: So but, but that that's actually a really good recommendation for someone who is stressed out and there's some because I wouldn't go to someone and be like, Oh, you need to check out the minimalists because like I said in that talk earlier, like the word minimalism is so extreme yeah. to some people that they just automatically shy away from it. So I would pick one of the other isms. And I would just I, I would recommend to them something that has added value to your life, whether it's a, a blog post that Leo Babalta wrote, or whether it's a, a podcast that, that Josh and I wrote, whatever it is, like you can share something. Or maybe it's you know the minimalism documentary, whatever it is, when you see someone stressed out and they're maybe looking to you for an answer, then you can recommend, you know, just a tiny little like, hey, I watched this document. I, I, f- I feel, I used to feel how you feel right now. And I, you know, I checked out this this one article. And it really helped me put things into a different perspective. It might help you put things into a different perspective. Yeah. But for the love of God, don't call yourself a minimalist because you find out real quickly who your friends are, I'll tell you that. <laughs> hey, can I just
2: say, I just, we just met just like a minute ago. Yeah. Thank you for trying to put joy into the world. We need more of that. What Amen. a great heart. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. We appreciate Thanks you. Michelle. Thank you. Howdy.
0: What's your name? I'm Ashley. <laughs> hey, Ashley. You can move that down a little bit so we can hear you. What's on your mind?
3: Just to say it's nice to see y'all's face instead of just hearing y'all's voices through my AirPods. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I've
0: been told that I'm the voice in some people's head, but <laughs> no,
1: I know it, I'm the voice of my own. Didn't you literally, like, you are walking past someone who was, like, listening to the podcast and you could hear that, like, this when was, you said the German
0: That's how we got Jeanette McCurdy on the podcast. Oh, that's right, yeah. So, Jeanette McCurdy, anyone in here under 30? Um, she's the most famous person I know, but you have to be of a certain demographic. Anyway, I was at the movie theater, and she, wa- she was, like, "There's a car driving by, and I'm, like, that sounds just like Ryan. <laughs> I'm, like, oh, my God, that is Ryan, but he's not in the car. <laughs> and then Jeanette McCurdy rolls down the window. I have no idea who Jeanette McCurdy is. I'm a 40-year-old dude. And, and, and she's, like, hey, Minimalist, I'm listening to your podcast. I'm, like, awesome. And then she tweets us later, really enjoyed the podcast, great running into you today, and I look, and it's like, who's this person with 10 million followers I run into? <laughs> My new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then she, she had this, just this amazing story of childhood dysfunction, child actor, and, and um, man, it was understanding from a very young age, talk about trauma, when, you, when your mother is like, trying to get you to go on a diet when you're 10 years old, you, you start to learn uh, a lot about um, dysfunction.
2: Yeah, where your value supposedly is, right?
0: Yeah, and talk about shame. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, Ashley, right? Yeah. <laughs> Howdy. <Yes. laughs>
3: um, so my question has nothing to do with minimalism, but whenever I travel uh, to a place I've never been to before, I have this paranoia of the worst thing happening, and I'm anxious the whole time. I was wondering, since you guys travel for your tours, do y'all ever get paranoid or nervous to places you've never been before? If so, how do you calm your nerves?
1: Especially like
0: driving in Houston.
1: <laughs> People say LA is crazy to drive in, holy moly. <laughs> get your haches up, man, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: So I gotta Dude, tell you. Houston, ah, oh, it's the best, it's the best. Was, what oh do we wanna do here? Put a highway, yeah! <laughs> This is the only place. So Ryan and I were walking downtown. Um, this is 2013. We were on tour here. We went to Rockets game. It was awesome. Um, James Harden was still here then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> may he rest in peace. Rest <laughs> <laughs> too soon? All Never right. too soon. Um, anyway, um, we I, we were getting right across the street where we hit the, the the button. we were downtown. We're just waiting to cross the street, and then all of a sudden the walk symbol comes up. So all right, we start walking across the street. <laughs> this big old F 350 comes through, honking the
1: horn. Eh, eh. Guy rolls down the window. Get out of the way! <laughs> it's like, oh. Never been honked at <laughs> with the right away. What, so my wife. This and is I, my
0: first experience in Houston.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So so my wife and I were uh, we took an Uber <laughs> over here. We took an Uber. Dude, we, we took an Uber over here. We were talking to the Uber driver about how crazy it was, and she said she moved here within the first week. She's driving down the highway. She's going like eighty miles an hour. This guy comes up behind her. He's flashing, honking his horn, flashing, honking his horn. She's like, "What? You know, I'm going eighty. What's going?" So she finally moves over, but then he moves behind her, mm-hmm. and because then now we're in a fight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's like, she's like, "Oh," she moves over again. He gets behind her, flashing, honking. So she just like kind of ignores him, pulls to the side of her. Within a week of moving here, pulls a gun out and like flashes it at her and her kids. She better recognize, you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just saying, man, she's she yeah. in Houston
1: now. So this is our pro-gun, this is our pro-gun speech right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, hey, John, let me ask you about this. So, so um. <laughs> I love you,
2: dude, dude, it's just Darwinism. I'm an F-350, you're a human, you should move, <laughs> right? That
0: was his <laughs> mentality, for sure. So, cool. Go right ahead. there, there are three things that I, that I, um, that I hate: um, travel, crowds of people, and public speaking. <laughs> it's not that I actually hate them; it, it made me really uncomfortable. And it, what resonated with me, you were talking about earlier, is like we've gotten so, well, we've we've nerfed everything, and now we're all living in our sort of bouncy castles. And especially over the last you know year and a half or whatever, and so much so that we never get ourselves into what Jonathan Franzen calls the discomfort zone. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I genuinely dislike traveling. Um, I really hate being on a stage um, for a few reasons, mainly because it feels odd to be elevated and, and uh, to have that sort of pedestal feel um, because I don't have the feeling that I'm better than anyone and I don't even have any advice for anyone here. I have no desire to convince you of anything. Um, but I do have this really strange desire to, to tell the truth. And that's why I, I, I do this. And so there's something compelling about being uncomfortable all the time when we're doing this. Now, Sometimes it's too much. And too much discomfort, that'll injure you though, right? So here, I
2: experience this too, OK? So here's two things going on. Number one, you can change your whole life. Here it is: we think in pictures, but we speak in words. Okay, so are you married? No. Are You dating somebody? Yes. Are they here? Yes. Are you gonna get married? Let's make this super weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Stop it,
2: oh, dude! Ah, oh, I love it. Okay, so here's the thing: you go to this person and say on Monday, and say Friday. I mean, the greatest date of our life is going to be hot. Houston hot. Be ready. And wh- where's, where, where's your date? Uh, right there. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get so weird. He, he goes, oh, my gosh, this is going to be incredible. And then by Monday, I mean, by Tuesday, he's like, I, I wonder what I'm going to wear and for how long. And I wonder by Wednesday, he's like, surely we're going to get a helicopter and end up at some weird hotel in Austin. Like, we're going Friday rolls around, he comes in, he's dressed in a suit, ready to rock and roll, and you come out wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt, and you're like, what are you doing, you're dressed like an idiot, and he says, you said, and I quote, hottest date ever, and you're like, for sure, Papacitas has tacos for nine for a dollar tonight, we're going to eat 18, and I'm going to have rocket gas, we're going to be in bed by nine, and it's going to be awesome. Now, he loves tacos. You would love a romantic rendezvous somewhere. You both use the word date, but you had a different picture, right? Mm -hmm. Our brains are picture-making machines, okay? That was a long story to tell you. Our brains are picture-making machines. Now, you're going to a new place, going back to what we were talking about earlier. Your tribe's not with you. You can't control anything. And so our brains does this awesome thing that is so awful, it catastrophizes. It gives you the worst-case scenario for you to solve and work backwards from. Right, I've talked to students. We're in the sixth extinction. We are going to be trading coffee and bullets for meat and water. And <laughs> we sell everything and put it into Bitcoin. And if that doesn't work, we should buy silver and copper teeth. What are you talking? Whatever, right? <laughs> we catastrophize and then solve backwards. right? <laughs> and now we have an ecosystem in the last 20 years. This is new to human history that you have an endless supply of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon putting picture after picture after picture of how bad it could be, right? And so then your poor little brain is getting ready to go on a pilgrimage with no tribe. You don't know anybody there. This is all new. But I got a catalog of how bad this thing could get for us, right? And they'd be making a murder podcast of you in no time, right? (laughs) All that to say is, for me, I have become pathological about protecting what goes in my head, comically so. And interestingly, my health and my sleep and all those things have improved, but and my, my interpersonal relationships and when my brain spins off into worst case scenario, which it has a hard, I grew up with a homicide detective as a dad, dude, it's always coming down, right? I will literally say, nope, not doing that. I've begun to talk myself into a gap there. I just won't go there anymore. The third and final thing is occasionally, when it's spinning bad, I will write down my thoughts and I will mine them for evidence. Right? Is this true? Mm. Nope. Is there a possibility that now that I'm in San Antonio that someone could... Snatch me off the street and duct tape me in the back of a trunk and then bury the car under the Alamo next to Pee Wee Herman's bike. All this stuff, right? (laughs) Could this happen? You would go, it could. Probably not going to happen. Does that make sense? And then your brain eventually goes, oh, she's back in control.
1: Whoop, We're off. Alarm's off. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it's being intentional about it. I just realized I'm like, I'm a very like positive pessimist. Because I, because of my upbringing, that's me, dude. Yeah, we're all gonna die, <laughs> right. we'll have fun when we're on the way, right? Oh man, which I'm not. I'm not recommending this for anyone. It's just like uh, this is just my uh, insight. Is from here listening to you talk, like I, because of my childhood, always expect the worst. Always, always. But I, but I plan for the best. If that makes any sense, and I, and I, and I, and I stay positive through it, even expecting the worst of it. Um, I'll tell you one thing that I do. Like literally right before we came out that door right there. I was back there doing uh, like a Tai Chi breath, which is you breathe in three, I gotta, let me tell you the story about how I I was telling fart breath. jokes in the back, but go ahead, Tai Chi. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I was, uh, we, were in, we were in Missoula, Montana. We had just got done recording a podcast in our studio there. I'm walking home, there's this homeless guy and he's like asking for money. And I just happened to be going to lunch. And uh, he, he was like, hey, can I get some money? I'm like, no. I was like, are you hungry? Like, If so, I'll, you can come have lunch with me. He was like, yeah, I'll take you up on that. So we go, to, we go to Qdoba, and we're sitting there, and um, he's like still trying to get money out of me as we're like talking, which is fine. I mean, you know, I used to be a sales guy. I get it. Um, so, so he's like, hey, man, you know, he's like, you have given me something here. I want to give you something. And he taught me this Tai Chi breath, and it's real simple. Like, you basically like get all the air out of your lungs, and then you breathe in like through your stomach as much as you can until you can't anymore. And then you've got like your upper lungs, and then like you pull all the air in through your chest. And then out through your chest, out through your stomach, until all the air is out. And literally, like Jordan is back there filming us, and he's like, "Ryan, can you please stop acting like you're going into labor? Like, and just get there." <laughs> but, but I mean, that's like a functional thing that I have learned that instantly like changes my state and like helps me to like process that anxiety. But I do want to say that all the feelings you have are totally normal. I mean, all, we all have them. It's it's really about how you process them and how you yeah deal with them when they arise for sure.
0: Actually, I, I, I just keep worrying. It really helps me. <laughs> I mean, every because if I worry about something, it, it tends to never happen.
2: Amos Tversky, a famous psychologist, said pessimism is so stupid because if it actually comes true, you've experienced it twice. <laughs> That's so beautiful. you might as well double down on the greatest possible outcome. And if you get hit by a bus, <laughs> that sucks, right? But I thought that that F 350 was going to stop and let me have the right away. And it didn't.
0: (laughs) They're giving me the light back there. So maybe, Ryan, it's time for something important.
1: All right. uh, It is time for the lightning round. We'll re answer your text messages. Usually, but not So everyone in line has to text us. You can't come up to the microphone. (laughs) No, uh, this is where we normally answer your text messages. Uh, you can text all your comments and questions to area code 937 202 4654. But tonight, we've got live questions, and this is where, uh, yeah, we do the lightning round. Josh, what is the lightning round?
0: So, what we try to do, Dr. Deloney.
2: I'm feeling like a chump because I just put a lightning round on my show, man. Uh, I'm going to well, take it all hey, off man, oh,
0: call it the thunder round or yeah, something man. like that. Hey.
2: That's cool, but go Genius ahead. Genius, what what is that. What's a lightning
0: round? <laughs> so, our lightning rounds, where we do our best to answer questions with a sh- short, shareable, less than 140 character response. Podcast Sean, who's back there hiding in the shadows somewhere, he takes these, we call them minimal maxims. They're these little tweetable pithy answers he puts them in our show notes so people can copy and share our pithy answers on social media but tonight we also have something special for you if you want to take your phones out you can actually text the number that he gave you don't worry i'll give it to you again and the only way uh tonight we're going to give you a recording of the event before anyone else will get it so if you want a, a recording of this event video audio all that as soon as we get back to la we'll send it to you but also if you text us this it's a bad decision on our part, but Ryan and I, these texts literally go to both of our phones. Um, we don't respond to everyone, but we do respond to quite a few people. And um, if you do text us, you'll also get our Monday morning minimal maximum. So every Monday, we'll start your week out with just a simple bit of simplicity. Of course, we'll never send you an advertisement or spam or junk or anything like that. Just a little pithy saying to start off your week. Something about living a meaningful life with less. So that phone number, 937 202 Four six five four. I'll give it to you one more time in a moment. But we have a question over here. And don't worry, uh, John. What we really do is we maunder on a bit until we get something pithy. Howdy. What's your name? Hi,
4: Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Hey. Hey, Aaron. Hi. What's on uh, your mind? Sorry. What's on your mind? Well, first, thanks for the tai chi breath uh, practice. I I needed it in line, so. I <laughs> Did you really use it in line? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Um, We can have everyone do it, and we'll turn it into a super spreader event. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, though, because the Tai Chi, it's like I get 10% less anxious, which is, yeah, which is something.
4: I'm in grad school, so I need that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But speaking about grad school, so I go to uh, Texas A&M, which is just up the road. Boop, thank you. Aggies, yeah, represent. Um, So anywho. (laughs) Oh, okay, tech, I see you. It's fine, it's fine. Um, so, being a busy grad student trying to do this whole grad thingy, um, I don't get to go home a whole lot, but when I do, my parents, God bless them, they always seem to have a big, really helpful mountain of stuff waiting for me to, you know, help me get through this whole college thing. And I've told them before, you know, I, I really appreciate what y'all are doing. Like, it's, it's really good, you know, it, I appreciate it, but could you, could you not? And they don't really seem to understand that I'm not trying to hurt their feelings. I just, it just kind of weighs on me more.
0: Why do you think they're doing it?
4: I maybe trying to have some sort of presence in College Station when they're not there physically. Mm. And they want to just, I don't know, still take up space in my house. I don't know. <laughs>
0: I probably have a more charitable explanation.
4: <laughs> little one bedroom.
0: Um, here's the thing. I, we can't, it's impossible for, for us to know someone's actual intention, but I, I suspect, so it's both of your parents that are doing this?
4: Well, they're divorced, so it's four of them because they both remarried. So. Oh, even better. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. and,
0: and do all four of them love you?
4: Three of them at least, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a C. That's a C. 75%.
2: Well done.
0: So so here's the thing. Um, We've been sold this insidious meme in our culture that gift giving is my love language. (laughs) That's like saying pig Latin is a romance language. And yet, um, (laughs) uh oh, he's standing up. (laughs) (laughs) We've been told this so often that we begin to believe it, right? There's no such thing as gift giving as a love language, but what are they trying to do by giving you this stuff? They're trying to add value to your life. They really hope to add value to to your life. And the reason they're not adding value to your life is there's a disconnect. They don't understand, they might even understand intellectually because you've said a few things, but they don't understand it in their viscera, in their heart. They don't understand what adds value to your life. And if you can help them understand that, what are you saying yes to? You do not even have to say no to those other things. Because whenever I give a gift to someone, I give it to them because I want to contribute to them in some way. And if I don't know how to contribute with them, if I don't know that language, then it's going to be hard for me. I'm going to be guessing. And right now, that's what they're doing. They're guessing because they love you, they care about you, and they want to add value to your life. And so. If you can help them understand how to better add value to your life, show them what to say yes to, instead of having to say no, no, no to this excess stuff. There's something pithy in that you can tweet. <laughs> hey,
2: how can anyone know how to love you
0: if you don't tell them? Woo!
2: Is that pithy? Yeah, you could tweet that podcast, yes. Sean. <laughs> I stole that from some Instagram. that Somebody wrote it on like a paper bag, but it's mine now. Like, yeah, I, I love that. They're right. loving you with the only language they know how, and sometimes we say, stop loving me this way, we don't tell somebody else how to love us in the right way. And so then saying, you know what I really love is a handwritten letter. Mm-hmm. I would love that, that could read on the way back, or a funny video or
1: what. so yeah, tell them how to love you. Yeah, I love that. We did this, uh, the lightning round uh, last night in San Antonio, and it's the first time we've done a live lightning round in like two years. And I need to like practice. I just realized this because usually on the podcast, we get like weeks in advance to come up with a pithy answer. So the only thing that's like coming to my mind right now is this, Um, I'm prefacing this just in case it's a really crappy answer. Um, Just because someone enjoyed giving you a gift doesn't mean you're obligated to enjoy that gift. That's good. I like that. Thanks, guys. got Melbourne's approval.
0: You, you shut us
4: right. behind the curtain. That was a pretty good, quick, pithy answer. <laughs> 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 Appreciate you. Thanks so much. Cool.
0: Thank you all. Howdy. Oh, we got, okay. We got one more snuck in there as well. That's cool. But That's we'll, right. we'll end it at these two. And I think we have seven minutes to do this. So we have to be extra pithy. What's your name, brother?
5: Hi. My name is Jay. Hey, Jay.
0: Howdy. Uh, What's on your mind?
5: Uh, just first want to thank y'all for everything you do and the value that uh, you've added to my life thank you um, thank you second of all with the uh, gift giving thing there uh, being a first generation Indian person here just ask your or whoever for money um, it'll and then all you got to do is just send them a photo of you enjoying something with that money and uh, ha but <laughs> 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 That's just awesome. ask for cash dollar <laughs>
1: dollar bills you <y'all>. Um <laughs> But what He's is like at the strip club, just <laughs> making it rain. Yeah, give me some money, preferably singles. <laughs>
5: if that's how you enjoy your money, Josh, you go for it. But, uh, that's how my 25-year-old <laughs> self enjoyed it. Anyway, but what's on my mind is uh, I came across this idea of ants, automatic negative thoughts. Um, I prefer to call them rats, random annoying thoughts. Uh, because what I find in my life is sometimes I'm just thinking about something stupid from the past that I know doesn't exist Or something in the future that I know it doesn't exist and I found this great bit of advice that you kind of want to be aware of it um, And then allow it to be a trigger for some something positive in your life uh, where I find myself getting stuck is I'm aware of it, and I think Why are you here right now? I can waste my time better than <laughs> engaging with you, but um not so much getting to that next step of turning it into something positive. So I was just wondering if y'all have any tips with that.
2: Mm. I, if you would ask me, and so I'm just going to assume you just did, so I'm going to tell you what I think the, the <laughs> most revolutionary psychological discovery of the last 100 years is. This from Martin Seligman. Optimism is a choice. It's a learned behavior. It's a decision. And what we often do, I'm like you. I'm, I'm crippled by automatic negative thoughts. I love the that acronym. That's great. Um, they pop into my head as a defense mechanism against everything coming my way. Instead of trying to figure out how to take bullets coming at you and use them for good, just turn the other direction and spend your energy trying to lean into optimistic thoughts. Does that make sense? So instead of fighting over here, as these two got hug over here, I spend most of my energy working to be optimistic, practicing optimism, practicing joy. And what I've noticed happen over the last five or ten years, the automated system has started to re-regulate itself. And now I see an evil headline or an ugly thing or a stupid thing that some leader said somewhere, and I instantly go, huh. Yeah, we're going to have to work really hard on that one. Not, it's all coming down. Does that make sense? Yep. And so instead of fighting this one, begin to. And so what does that look like every day? Daily affirmations, right? It looks like I'm going to write a letter a week to someone I care about. You may send them photos from 25-year-old. <laughs> Whatever, right? I am going to put joy into the world. I'm going to continue to seek it. If you f- look for beauty, you will find it, right? And you will begin to shift over time. If you look for beauty, practice, you will find it. That was good,
1: man. That's the pithy Is that right pithy? there. Yeah, that's the pithy right. like set right crazy. there.
0: Yeah. That's solid. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I, we're running out of time, so we're going to go with one pithy answer there. Okay. So one more question here. Oh, yeah. all right. Howdy. Thanks for your question, brother. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks What's your name?
4: Hi, I'm Erica.
0: Hey, Erica. What's on your mind?
4: Uh, I just really appreciate all three of you, and um, Dr. John. I'm impressed that you haven't made any horse noises here on the live show. <laughs>
2: Um, it makes me happy that you, I only have like four listeners of my podcast and you're one of them. It's so great It's <laughs> so good.
0: By the way, you can find the Dr. John Deloney show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts
2: <laughs> It sounded like an ad, but it's cool
4: <laughs> um, My question is similar to the last um, I'm a couples therapist and I consider myself a highly sensitive person so I'm sitting with quite a bit of pain and discomfort uh, most of my days and for me, I think I have decent coping skills in terms of thoughts uh, and boundaries, but I hold all of that somatically in my body. And so I'm curious, any thoughts about being able to let that go and, and not holding it so much?
1: I'll turn that over to you two. Go for it, guys. <laughs> hey, you're honestly, you're, dude, you're the doctor here.
0: <laughs> if, if, you, have, you have two PhDs. I have zero college degrees. <laughs> um, I, have, um, I have some observations, but I'd love to hear what you have to say
2: my i take my cues from an old psychiatrist named william glasser who said most most physical physiological pain that extends beyond three to six months is at some level relational in nature and it's your body ping-ponging its way through your body um it has some disconnected relationship some unhealed relationships and that sounds so woo woo and so like back to wizard throwing dust around here what i found in my life here's what he here's what he would he would not let his clients say i'm anxious i have a headache i have a backache they had to say things like i'm headaching, i'm back aching i'm depressing i'm anxietying and he let them take ownership of their bodies and what he began to do is follow that trail back where am i disconnected with someone that i love where do i have unhealed trauma where does is my body keeping the score to quote Vanderkoel, right? And what I've seen is the somatic healing over time is usually done with deep relational work and healing and letting things go, letting fantasies go and being able to breathe for the first time in a long, long time. All right, that's, my, that's the best I know, and there could be some really deep physiological issues, and so go see a doctor. Go ahead, Josh. I,
0: I wrote about this a little bit in Love People Use Things. Three years ago this month, Ryan and I traveled to Brazil. Um, I got a really bad food poison. I got a parasite, and it totally changed my life. And the last three years have been what I call a, a three-year near-death experience. Uh, summer of 2019, I was suicidal for the first time in my life. wrote about that as well. Uh, I never even had depression before that. Never even. I was always Mister Outstanding. Like that's what people would write on the damn coffee cup when I go into Starbucks. How you doing today? I'm outstanding, and and, and so like, um, I I was not used to this change. It but it, this parasite like it it, tr- it it triggered this autoimmune disease in me. And and I'd wake up every morning with nine out of ten pain, crippling, awful pain. And I'd sit throughout the day with intense pain, and I'm. 60 to 70 percent better from the sort of nadir of of that summer of 2019 i tell you the there are a few things that have helped me but nothing has helped me nearly as much with pain management than grounding totally changed my life it, john does it too um uh, there's a great book called earthing by clint ober and um it's a masterpiece it's good yeah i, I never i never um I always was allergic to it, like, these freaking hippies walking barefoot. And I travel with a grounding mat on my bed now. I, I, we're at a you know, cheap hotel, and I, I bring it out, put it on the bed, and and uh, plug it into the wall, make sure it's a grounded outlet, because it's a clo- we can't sleep on the ground. Well, I guess we could, but I'm not going to. Um, and then I do things like I walk. On the beach or in the grass daily. I've seen John do it over at the Ramsey headquarters. You're like, so
2: happy. So in Nashville, we're in these big buildings, and I'll go outside and take my shoes off and walk around. And I get people are taking pictures of me and being like, Ooh, are you going to take off, you dragon, you mystical creature, you whatever? Yeah. And then you were there. Yeah, I was grounding and too. Like, my yeah, wife I gotta was there. And, and
0: people were like, Are you not crazy, Deloney? And I was like, <laughs> No, I told you guys. <laughs> so um, it's, it's been. I have nothing pithy for you other than to say it has totally changed my pain. My my pain has gone from a a nine most days to like a a two to a four most days. And so it's been a tremendous way to to help, um, well, reconnect with something that we disconnected from so long ago.
2: I don't let a day go by in my life that
0: I don't go outside and put my bare feet on the bare ground for five to ten to twenty minutes. I ground Something for about 18 hours a day at this point. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you that if uh, I, I, some days it's close to 24 hours a day. Weird
1: flex, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> my dad can beat up your dad, so <laughs> my dad can beat up your dad. Oh, his dad's dead. Oh. <laughs> Real mature. <laughs>
0: well, I know one thing for sure, my dad could beat up my mom. <laughs>
1: Dude. oh, this guy dark so alright you All right, funny. y'all, it's been a great evening. Um,
0: oh, I forgot to give you the, the the password. If you text that number I gave you earlier, uh, rockets, I guess would be the best word to text to us. Um, you, uh, we already set it up as rockets. I would change It's kind it of to a dark Astros. moment right now I know, for Houston fans, I know. but it's
2: cool. Yeah, but you gotta have hope, right? Hakeem Olajuwon, baby. Once he left. <laughs>
0: Uh, 937-202-4654, we'll send you a recording of the event. We'll also send you some pithy maxims every every Monday. Start your week off with some simplicity. Um, I want to thank you and acknowledge you for being here tonight. I also want to acknowledge John for being here. I'm really grateful you decided to spend this evening with us. Hey, thanks we for the love invite. You, it's
2: so good to see everybody, and it's good to be back in my home city for just a night. It's so good to see everyone.
0: It's beautiful. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> The number, yeah, the number, one more time. Yeah. 937-202-4654. <laughs>
1: Could they find that at theminimalists.com?
0: Slash contact. <laughs> if you wanted to. Indeed. Look, I don't know where you are in life. I don't even know why you came here tonight. I'm really grateful you did, though. You decided to spend a few hours with us. Yeah, you paid some money to get in the door. We're grateful for that. It pays for some of our travel expenses. We actually lose money doing most of these tour stops. Um, But I don't know where you are. You spent your most precious resources with us tonight, though. Your time and your attention. I'm so grateful for that. If you leave here tonight with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here, y'all.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.
3: Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine
1: without it.